to the Lounge. On this episode, I have none other than Jim McClure. You know him, host of Talking Tabletop and owner of Third Act Publishing, Reflection, Reach Titan, all that stuff. Lead designer Burn Bright with that other superstar team. I really want to get on this. He's just an all-around great guy. You know him. He'll be at uh, Gen Con this weekend, hanging with System After Guys. And, oh yeah, he's about to have his first pro wrestling match. So here he is. Enjoy. I'll see you on the other side. Just nice little conversation. That's right. Um, I am here uh, at Origins with Jim McClure. Hello. How are we doing on this wonderful day? I am fantastic. How are you doing? It is Origins, and it is Origins Game Fair, which is like one of my favorite conventions of the year. Um, one, one of the, the, the terrible advantages that I have over the rest of the world, which is nice, is I live in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio. There is nothing good about living in Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> Outside of one fact... Which is, we, I live exactly an hour and a half from Origins and exactly an hour and a half from Gen Con, and Origins is the much calmer of the two. Uh, so it is one of my favorite conventions, and here we are on Saturday after several days of gaming and meeting and greeting and talking gaming and all of those wonderful fun. So uh, sit, sitting here in the lounge, chilling for a little bit yeah. uh, with, with, with my man Jesse here, feels good. Good. I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad it feels good. Um, I'm really excited to, to have you on. You're uh, you're one of those names that comes up That's just scary. as you have conversations with people <laughs> like, like oh, you should check out this thing by Jim McClure. And, um, and when I saw you, well, I, I saw you on Wednesday, I'm like, come on my show. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I believe, how our first interaction went. Exactly. It was, it, it was, I was like, oh, hi, you're one of the, because, all right, so one, one of the fun that we'll tell, I love stories. Okay, You're going to hear this stories. This is all about okay. stories. Right. So. Um, for those that have not had the pleasure of coming to Origins, okay, uh, the I, I call it Greater Encoded Design Circle. So it's Encoded Designs. It's the misdirected mark community of podcasts. I don't know what the official thing uh, is now. The gems. It's Gnome Stew. The gems. Is that yeah. what it is? Is that a Steven Universe thing? No, it's well, because sad. Gnome Stew, Encoded Design, Misdirected Mark. Okay. Gems. Yeah, yeah. And right. I did just literally like ten minutes ago make the joke. Well, we call, we're called that because we're so precious. <laughs> so I will accept that as canon. Yes, <laughs> uh, but the gems, as it were, uh, have a corner of origins all to themselves. It is a table. It has these like sound dividers for some reason behind it, <laughs> um, and it's always where you can find the encoded people. Uh, and we we were joking that I think it's either one or two more years, and you all get squatters right. On that, uh, which is which is very exciting. I'm excited for y'all. Uh, but anyway, so I, I come up to the encoded uh, table where everyone's sitting on. Was it Wednesday night? The first night, whatever night. Mm-hmm. That was forever ago. Um, it was three days ago, but it feels like a month ago. So anyway, I come up there, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm saying hi to everyone. And I don't even think you said hi to me. You were like podcast. <laughs> And me, I was like, yes. I go, I don't know what we're doing here, but I'm excited. So that's kind of, I think, the, the genesis of how, how we're sitting here How now. we're sitting yes. here. 
Um, it is funny because, uh, you know, I, I, I do improv, uh-huh. and you immediately yes-anded me. I'm like, I like this guy. <laughs> I like this guy. We're in. Yeah. All right. From this point forward, it's, it's no buts from this point forward. <laughs> just anything. You just, no, that's not how it went. Yeah. But this other thing you don't want to talk about, like, <laughs> no, I'm not engaging with your gaming store, but let me tell you about the insurance industry. Your homeowner's insurance policy, man, if you have a drain backup coverage and you don't have that rider, oof, oof. <laughs> Say Unless it. you're in Florida, then it works different. <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about your Kickstarter, but have you found uh, the light of our Savior? <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. all, all no buts from this point forward in the interview. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, um, Jim, tell me, tell me about you. Um, oh, God. I, I, you know, my introduction to your actual work was um, following, and I didn't get in quick enough to to uh, to back Satanic Panic. Right. Um, but uh, so that I'm done. I'm off the interview at this point. <laughs> Thanks for not backing. <laughs> um, but I, well, I I'm very excited for this game. There we go. That that counts. That's I, good enough. I lived through the '80s. I can't wait to play through the <laughs> '80s. Um, but uh, but tell like just just for the audience, tell us you know what you've done. Oh, okay. Um, well, it all started in a cold winter in 1987. A child was born under a star. No, uh, we'll, we'll skip ahead a little okay. bit, okay? We won't care for the whole thing. Uh, but no, uh, primary things that I've, I guess I've done within related to, to tabletop, the people listening to this who would probably be yeah. perhaps interested. Uh, again, all of my great design work in the insurance industry, I don't think anyone perhaps <laughs> cares about. But uh, I started doing a podcast uh, called Talking Tabletop. It was on the One Shot Podcast Network. I still get to say I still do it because I put out like an episode or two a year, uh, typically when someone in a hallway sitting around a table goes, Jim, I want to be on your show. And I'm like, all right, I'll do another episode. <laughs> um, so that's the secret of how to get more Talking Tabletop episodes is, is you come and yell at me to, to have you on the show. And then I just say yes. Uh, but anyway, so I did a show called Talking Tabletop, which was an interview podcast show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I, you, you ran me out of town with the lounge, so now you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the other side of it. But uh, yeah, so I, I talked to people on the One Chat Podcast Network, um, and then I kind of got into game design. Uh, the dirty truth is I always wanted to be in game design. Mm-hmm. I started. I designed my first game when I was eight years old. Never stopped designing to this day. Um, love games. Love designing games. And I always wanted to do that. Um, so to give you the quick rundown of kind of what I've done in, in, in sort of the industry of the first game I did was a game called Reflections, which was a two-player game where you play samurai. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite sales pitches. So all right, here, here's the sales pitch for, for Reflections. All right, so uh, you, you you play two samurai that have come together to have a duel to the death. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you have that duel, you flash back in time and relive the events of your lives where you started out as good friends, ended as bitter rivals, and now you're going to have a duel where one, if not both of you, will die. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, is, it is a game uh, that plays in one hour and is guaranteed to make you cry in an hour uh, for characters you haven't even met yet. Uh, so that was Reflections, and Re- Reflections went super well. Uh, and then from there, I've, I've sort of continued along the lines, and the other games I've designed is, of course, Satanic Panic that, yep. that you're familiar with, um, which is a game for the, in the fictionalized version of the late 70s, early 80s, where everything they said about D&D is true. D&D is turning people evil and turning them into demons, and you play government agents that go around and break up groups of tabletop players because yep. satire is wonderful. Um, so By the it's, way, <laughs> I, let me throw in an addendum. Yes. Um, I was incorrect about Satanic Panic being Uh-oh. my first exposure to you because I got reflections before I was involved with any of this ah, group and everything. Okay. And I 
fucking love reflections. Well, there we go. Um, I don't appreciate your language, sir. Keep it clean. But. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I actually had this conversation with someone else because everyone's like, oh, Jim's kind of like a squeaky clean guy. And I'm like, yeah, when I'm on podcasts, I am. Man, you get me when I'm not, and I'm a wildly different beast. You get, you get, we're sitting here in Big Bar on 2 here in, in, in Columbus. And, man, you get me here about 11 o'clock at night, and I'm a little bit a little different. A little bit different. A <laughs> little bit different. But, uh, but I don't know. You, you, you got me feeling good here today here good. in the lounge. So, uh, anyway, so I'm glad you, glad you like reflection. I really love reflections. I'm very, very proud of that game. Uh, so, I've, I, from there, I've kind of designed a couple other games. Uh, I'm not going to just break down all the individual sure. ones, but, uh, you know, the, the newest of them being, uh, of course, Reach of Titan, which I just, at the time of this interview, finished kickstarting, or the Kickstarter completed uh, a few months ago, was was uh, wildly successful for, for me. I was very happy with all the support that I gave, um, which is a game about fighting giant, huge, larger-than-life creatures. It was, I always wanted to play Shadow of Colossus, the tabletop game, and it mm-hmm. didn't exist. Um, so whenever there's a game I want to play that doesn't exist, I end up having to make it. Uh, so those are sort of the, some of the big games I designed for my company, Third Act Publishing. Together we also publish other people's games. Um, we've done Axon Punk, which was a cyberpunk game. Dominum Magica, which was made by, by Emily Reinhardt, uh, that I kind of co-designed as well, uh, is a magical girl RPG mm-hmm. that's so good, I really like it. And then we just also finished Kickstarter for uh, Orpheus Protocol by Rob Stith, which is a sort of a cult horror RPG. And then finally, on top of all of that, to give you hopefully plenty of, of fodder for follow-up questions, um, is I also uh, am the lead designer for Roll20, because Roll20 is getting into the RPG-making business. Uh, uh, and they hired me uh, together with a team. Uh, some names people probably know: James Intercasso, Cat Cool, and Darcy Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of put together a a dream team of designers on that, and have made Burn Bright, which isn't out yet, but is coming out like I think in like a month. You did not hear that from me, um, but it's something like that. Uh, so I'm also very happy to be be working with Roll Twenty as their designer as well. Yeah, and a month. From when we're recording this, sure, yeah, I don't know. Maybe dropping it at a different point. If so. your release date is anything like mine, I'd, so then it got published six months ago because we. <laughs> I'm sure you're way better than I am about that, though. <laughs> I'm a, maybe little bit, a little, little bit, bit yeah. better. Okay, okay. Um, actually, I I wanted to talk specifically about the roll twenty thing. Okay. Um, be, so, I mean, I come from you know I started gaming um, before that that uh, that. Sun's Wrench Day in 1987. Um, so, like, for me, it was always a struggle to find people around me. Mm-hmm. Roll20 changed that. Like, yep. like finding people to play games with, Roll20 altered that entirely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when that role came about, you know, had they, had they already started looking? Was that a pitch that you'd were part of um yeah so all right uh a couple things one i just want to make a comment following up on on what you, i'm supposed to know but you but i got a yes and <laughs> That's here, okay because it, we are talking about roll 20 um and and i agree entirely roll 20 i think is one of the top five most significant things that's happened in the the rpg industry in in the last 10 years mm-hmm. uh you know it's it, it, it's kicks it's actually i would just say it, it's streaming it's kickstarter it's roll 20 and virtual tabletop mm-hmm. um because exactly as you said that opened up an entire world of possibilities there are so many people that live in small towns or in countries that do not have large tabletop populations and just like i'm interested in this thing I am incapable of playing it yeah. because I can't find four to five people due to, due to where I live. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
I can't find four to five people due to where I live. I do this professional podcast edit. You see that? I don't know if you had it or not. I can't find four to five people where I can actually get them together to play due to where I live or many other concerns, you know, physical disabilities, uh, you know, mental and social concerns of, of, of sort of going out and finding that. And, and Roll20 has, has opened it up so much. I mean, a lot of people don't understand. They have three million active users at this point. It mm-hmm. is a huge number of people um, that are, uh, many of whom are getting to play tabletop or getting to play tabletop far more frequently than they ever would have beforehand. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been a big supporter of Roll20 for a long period of time. Actually, that's how I got into podcasting. Mild diversion, and then we're going to talk about no, the game. I warned you it. I talk a lot, okay? Um, when I, Soon after Roll20 came out, um, I, I joined Roll20. Um, my account was joined I think, two months after they went live. I was unaware of their Kickstarter, mm-hmm. uh, but I joined Roll20 because the same thing. I was having trouble getting a home group together. I was relatively new to tabletop at the time, and I, I had that new person buzz. I was all like, I want to do this every hour of every day because <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so I went online and looked, and people was like, oh, this new Roll20 thing. So I joined Roll20, um, and I started running games for people, but it was hard to find people because a lot of people were inexperienced because a lot of people that were getting on Roll20 had been able to play before. Mm-hmm. So literally what I did was I, I started running, uh, I called him Path to Glory, I still love that name, uh, D&D 4th Edition, because that's what was, was out at the time, and I still am on the record as one of the dozen people that love 4th Edition. <laughs> uh, but uh, I ran these games specifically for people who never played tabletop before. So it was essentially a four-session campaign, people who never played before, I'd teach them how to play 4th Edition, you know, sort of do the thing and then shoot them off into the world of like, go fly my children. Um, had a lot of fun with that, ran, I think, over over that year, I ran like 14 different groups through that that little thing. It mm-hmm. was it was it was fantastic. Uh, the town of Bearswith, terrible name, still love it, don't care. Bearswith, uh, Bearswith, yeah, because there was a mountain pass that was the width of a bear, and that's where the name perfect. comes from, right? It's terrible, don't say perfect. It's awful. <laughs> so anywho, um, it's wonderfully bad. Super long digression. I had a couple people come back to me from those groups and were like, Jim, we love what you did for us to teach. I'm having a hard time finding people because no one wants to GM. Can you teach me how to GM? And I was like, okay, that's a commitment. Um, so I looked around for what other resources that were and found out there was a group called the GM Academy on Roll20 that was for that. Mm. Um, to, to cut through some of the stuff, I ended up joining them. I started doing seminars and stuff for for them. And then we started, because podcasting became a thing, we did a little kind of, wasn't so much a podcast as it was a live stream. It was really, really bad. I love some of the content. The production values hurt me um, as as, as what I became, but that's actually how I got into content producing for RPGs. So that's the, the, the long Roll20 digression. It's very near and dear to my heart. I love Roll20. Um, you asked me something about the game, and I lost it 10 minutes ago on my uh, long. What, what I was asking was, like, how did, how did, it, how did that grouping come about? Oh, okay. Um, what was the genesis of that? The genesis of that grouping. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on a show or not, um, but it, it was... Um, actually, it started with James Intercasso. Um, James Intercasso was doing bad. I don't think I'm breaking any contracts saying this. I don't think this is a secret. I was just, yeah. That's fine. Right. No, listen. <laughs> no one who owned Roll20 has yelled at me more than once, okay? I'm, in the, in the, the, the quote from Inglorious Bastards, I've been chewed out before. That's fine. Like, I'll get chewed out. Um, but uh, Nolan was doing back-end work for Roll20, essentially inputting a bunch of the, the D&D stuff. He's working on contract for him. Um, and I had known Nolan up until this point in interacted with him several times. Super great guy. Love Nolan to death. Uh, and he, um, 
came to Intercasso and was like, hey, I really like the idea of maybe having Roll20 produce a game um, for whatever reasons Roll20 decided to produce a game. Uh, You do editing? Yeah. Okay. Podcast edit. There's a whole story in that I can tell you off the mics. Okay. All right. Podcast edit. Uh, So... The uh, he approached Intercasso about doing a, a unique system for it, and so they those two actually started having the conversation, and they were like, "Okay, we want to do our own system for it because uh, that's sort of the, the goals that they have for it. Who do we know that can design a system from the ground up?" And apparently, which is a little bit flattering for me, both of them threw out Jim McClure as the <laughs> name for it. Um, so at that point, they approached me uh, and were like, "You know, hey, we would be interested in you you and you doing this project," and so. So me and James Intercasso sort of put the whole pitch together, and one of the things was, uh, you know, if we're, if we're there's a couple aspects. One, if we're being honest, uh, two white guys shouldn't be making a game alone, uh, especially a big industry game in, in this day and age, or really any day and age. Um, so I was like, we need people who aren't us on this team, and this is a big project. We need more than two people on this team. Um, so at that point, uh, we sort of re- reached out to some of the the creative people, you know, that we knew who were going to be, we felt very good for this project, and that's what led on to uh, Darcy Ross. Of course, this was actually right before, slash during, when then she became Monty Cook's uh, I forget what her official position is. I call her Guru of Monty I, Cook because she I, does I, she does everything but write the books. I like, was straight yeah. up going to say Guru. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, Cat uh, uh, Cool, you know, formerly of the One Shot Podcast mm-hmm. Network. Um, you know, so and then the the four of us then spent a year long development process, you know, designing, playtesting, making, and and getting this game burn bright out there, um, which has. I'm not going to lie, and, and this is mildly tooting my own horn because I was lead mechanical design for the game. It has so much cool design tech in it, and I don't even mind to because it's not tooting my own horn by any means. This was very much a collaborative effort from the four of us on every aspect of it. Uh, but there is so much cool new design tech that the RPG world is going to see in this game. We have we have a wholly unique core mechanic that's never been seen anymore. I think it's <laughs> brilliant. So cool. I love it so much. And depending on what your show is, I'd love to go into a mechanical discussion or we can keep it not so dry, but yes. <laughs> you get um, me on that, and I'll be on it for 30 minutes. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, though. Okay. Um, I'll throw this out there. I like to. I don't necessarily always like to do the mechanical right, discussion, right. but I do recommend anybody who's listening who wants to have Jim talk about the mechanics. Come, yeah, yeah. C- c- come just shout podcast at me in a hallway, and I will be there. That's how it works. <laughs> Perfect. Um, actually, let's talk a little bit about about burn bright. Okay. Um, so what what what's the the elevator pitch? Okay, elevator pitch of burn bright. Uh, burn bright is um, I think the most succinct elevator pitch is it's brilliant. Just go buy it. <laughs> Does that count? Will that work? I don't think that's ever worked well. I mean, I think the, the also the elevator pitch is is James Endercasso, Jim McClure. <laughs> Darcy Ross, Ross and, and Cat Cool. That's like, a heck of an elevator like, pitch. I'll put, I'd buy that game. Yeah. Yep. Um, but in, in a more serious <laughs> tone, the, the, the concept is uh, let's, let's let's get serious for a minute as sure. we talk about games. Um, <laughs> uh, the. The, the elevator pitch for it is it is a, a sci-fi game. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, We are in a universe that is essentially contracting. Uh, okay. I will very much specify, as we've had to specify to some of our playtesters, this is fantasy sci-fi. This is pyramid-shaped planets. Okay, sure. Th- Throw your understanding of actual science out the window. This is a fantasy sci-fi game. Okay, 
so the, the universe is contracting in a very unique way. It's a process called the burn, which started, which essentially mm -hmm. is, picture there's an edge of the universe that kind of looks like the Aurora Borealis, and it's just contracting inward and just destroying everything on its path. Okay. okay? Um, this, this, what we call the process of the burn, and the, the galaxy where, where sort of uh, everyone plays and takes part in, uh, has been completely isolated off from the rest of the universe. Don't even know if there's any of it left at this point, because it's just the burn. Nothing that goes through can ever come back. Um, and it's slowly shrinking in and essentially destroying planets, destroying systems. But it's a slow process that's been happening over generations. So before a system disappears, there is plenty of advanced knowledge that this is going to happen. So what they do is they evacuate these people and bring them into closer and closer to the center systems. We play in the game at a time now where we have a resource-scarce universe, and the scarcest resource is to be able to relocate populations. Uh. Because... What do you do with a population that has to leave its planet because it's going to be destroyed, but any planet you put it on doesn't have the resources to support them? Huh. And how do you handle that situation? So that's a lot of the, the geopolitical side. And then you have certain things like the most valuable plants and the best ones are the ones in the center because they're going to literally survive the longest as far as anyone can tell. Sure. Um, Sort of what as a, as gamers, what you play is is your sort of the 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 ragtag group of, of of heroes together. You know that has a spaceship that you run around and do missions. One of the most common things is resource gathering at the edge of the universe, which is a very dangerous thing to go out and do. Mm -hmm. But it's highly valued because we do have limited resources. These are things that are about to be gone forever, and to be able to reclaim some of those. Uh, so those are some of the the sort of the uh, we say the, the standard play mode, as well as of course you can very much get involved in the sort of the political side on both a, a small local level and a larger level. Um, so that's kind of what the, the experience of, uh, of Burn Bright is. Okay. Uh, it, it's weird. I, you're going to hear me at some point accidentally call it Project Gasball because that was its name for like two years leading up to it and what and during the work process it was only at the very end we named it burn bright um and i was like okay don't call it project gasball no one knows what that is uh although i believe we made our first adventure called project gasball just as a nice little homage to to no one but ourselves yes uh so yeah that's the that's the the core concept um ooh, there's a couple fascinating things without getting too deep into mechanics that i'll throw out there uh we decidedly went no humans and no human yeah. allegory either it's not like a oh here's the flimflams, which are clearly just humans. Right. None whatsoever. We took it out of there because one of the concepts that, that we kind of went into it with that I see a lot is a lot of people, in my experience and in the data that we've seen from like wizards, just play humans. Yeah. And I think there's actually a logical reason for that. And that is when I look at most traditional RPGs, I go, okay, if you play a human, you can be anything you want. Right. And if you play another species, you are humans but X. Right. So you are elves. You are humans, but you live a long time, and that means X. Right. Um, and it made it always feel to me like, okay, if I played an elf, I'm pigeonholed into this thing. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a human... I can be whatever I want, just from like, not necessarily a mechanical sense, but from a narrative, from a background sense, uh, et cetera. And, and that never, never sat well with, with me and several other members of the design team. So we came up with the concept of we go, what if we just take each species and give them their own sort of unique whole story with different aspects that you can put together, and then you can see which of those appeals to you and it gives you an in. So for example, um, 
we we have a um, uh, a one of the species is called the kathuk. Okay, the kathuk are are these giant bug creatures. Except okay. instead of like sharp, pointy bugs, they're more like. I, I think of them as happy Labrador retrievers, except they're a bug, okay. and they're like eight feet tall, okay? And they're warriors, and they're big fighters. Um, they're super, super nice, okay? Uh, huge strengths, uh, or, or the strong sense of community, because on their planet, their planet was actually very cold, and they travel together in these big biomasses, sort of like right. what crabs do in our world. Um, so they're used to being next to people. So you have this big, like on a spaceship, it's this big happy bug who's kind of hard and pointy, but he always wants to cuddle up next to people, but they're super friendly. The thing is, their species consumes a ton of resources. So when they need to be relocated to a planet, no one wants them on their planet even though they're friendly because of the resource draw for mm -hmm. it. So it gives you a whole bunch of different interesting role play opportunities in your story of everyone loves one kathuk no one wants two kathuks yeah how do you engage in the world like that um and huh. together with them having that strong sense of family and community it's like we want to be together and do a thing that's what what our species have grown and evolved to do and have socially set up and no one wants us like that but they like us individually so we've sort of done that with all of the different species to be like instead of a here's your species where you can be anything it is here's what this species is about and what they're engaged with in their life does that speak to you if not Look at this one. Yeah. And there's eight more that all have that sort of rich, flushed-out story to it. I'm, I, I'm fascinated by the idea of, of the no-human thing because I can't... Like, I've run games mm -hmm. where I've said, you know, the sci-fi game, there's no humans. Yeah. You, you know, even, like, to the point where I'll... I've run Star Wars games, and I'm like, here's the five races. Also, there's no Jedi or any, or any space right. magic. And they're like, this isn't Star Wars. I'm like, no, it's not. But, you know. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Like, like, that's fascinating to me because it's, I think it's more interesting to see how people interact from these other points of view. Right, exactly. Yep. I also like the idea of the Kathak because the immediate thing I thought of was Taika Waititi talking about the Wellington bouncer mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. he made Korg. And, like, these big, scary guys who are super nice yep. because they're big and scary looking, so... Yep, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. I, 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 love, I love my Kathuk, those, the, the, those, those happy Labrador retrievers of insects. Yep. <laughs> they're great little creatures. That's cool. Um, when... Now, getting to Burn Bright, yep. you know, you've, you had... I mean, you started with Reflections, which has a very narrow yeah. band. Um, well, you said you started with a game when you were eight. Oh yeah, you you want to know about the early games? Let's oh, there, let, yeah yeah. Th th there's several stories here. Sure, okay, sure. We're, we're, we'll get to the most interesting one quickly. So uh, yeah, I my first game I ever made when I was eight years old. Okay, I remember this is my it was it's based off of the first computer game I ever played, which is called Hugo Three Jungle of Doom. I've never played the first two, but Hugo Three Jungle of Doom. It was essentially a text-based adventure game that they put graphics to. Okay? okay, I still remember the story. You crash land on a little island. Uh, it's you and your it's never clear wife. I think maybe she immediately gets bit by a spider, and the whole game is about finding anti venom for okay. it. Okay. Um, and uh, so it's one of these games where you did actually have, like, graphics on the screen and you could move around. But then when it's like you came up to a bridge, you had to type in, like, how do you cross the bridge? It's like, oh, you have a broken bridge. Okay, tie vines to secure a bridge. Mm -hmm. Okay, it worked. You know, it's, it's one of those style games where it's looking for very specific keywords and today would be very frustrating. But it was literally the first computer game I ever played. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by it and I loved it um, I didn't actually own that game we were at someone else's house when I played it so what I did was I went home uh, that next day 
and I got myself 36 sheets of paper, and I drew out an adventure map. So when I would play it with my brothers, they would have one piece of paper, and there'd be little bad guys. And when they moved to the next map, just like how the computer screen switched, there'd be another piece of paper. And I had one or two little puzzles where there was a waterfall, and you had to get a ladder uh, to get down the waterfall. And then there was a dude with a gun that you had to beat. Um, and that was, that was my first ever game. I wish I still had it. We moved and I left it in the attic of the house. Ah. To this day, I want to break back into that house and see. I'm sure it's been 23 years. It's clearly not there, but I still want that game. So that was literally the first game I ever designed. Mm -hmm. um, and I then designed a lot of games. Uh, part of the reason for this is I was homeschooled my whole life growing up. Okay. okay? Uh, on a horse farm, 96-acre horse farm. Um, and I, my parents pretty much had the belief they were... I don't want to say they were cheap. My parents had the belief of, you're a child, any toy I buy you is going to be irrelevant in a year, why are we going to waste money on it? Mm. Um, there is farm work to be done. Very, very Irish farm work family. Uh, <laughs> so, I didn't have a lot of games, um, simply because they didn't consider them a worthwhile endeavor, sure. so I made games, and I was stuck at home all the time. Uh, so any video game or something like that that we got, I would end up making some kind of pen and paper game mm -hmm. for it. Okay. So flash forward to the interesting story. I am 18 years old. Okay. God, there's another story before this one. It's fine. Um, <laughs> 18 years old. Okay. I get back into watching WWE professional wrestling. Okay, still watch it to this day. I actually started training to become a professional wrestler two months ago. Because uh, really? it's one of those dreams. I have no hopes of ever being a WWE style star, but I'm like, when I'm 80 years old, I'm going to be sad if I never wrestled a match at some point in my life. So, turn 30, it's it's the decade to do that now. Actually, last decade was, but but this is the last decade as possible. Anywho, I start watching wrestling again. And, and I do what I always do is I made a game to emulate professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was the first one that was legitimately that was a tabletop role playing game. I never played D and D at this point in my life or any other tabletop role playing game. Um, fast forward to being twenty one for work, I move out to the great state of Ohio. Uh, I get drugged, kicking and screaming to my first D and D game, going, <laughs> "I do not want to go. I don't want to do that nerd shit." Um, so you got to cuss out of me. We're here. Um, <laughs> yes. Hashtag bad boy of RPGs. Uh, so I uh, I get drugged and I and two things happen when I played that first D and D game. I went, "This is amazing." I love it. I'm instantly hooked in this fourth edition D&D. And the other thing I was like, I made one of these games. <laughs> and I went back and, and revised some of the rules for my wrestling game. I, that's, that wrestling game is still my favorite game I've ever made and designed. I play it to this day. I have extensive stats tracked of I'm on season 11 of playing through that game, which take a year to play through. I love my wrestling game. It is a hodgepodge and a disaster and will never see the light of day. But it's it's my game, and I love it. Um, so that was sort of how the the early days before I showed up with something like polished, like reflections that actually existed in the world. I've pretty much been designing games forever. I'm going to throw something out there. Okay. Um, I love wrestling. Love it. Fantastic. Love it. Okay. Um, I actually, my wife and I, and, and my cousin, and a couple, and a, and a friend, we had a long running podcast called Red Trunker Radio. Okay. Um, that you is still available in some places. We kind of got out of watching it regularly, so that's a whole thing. Um, when I was uh, 25 years old, um, I started doing improv okay. with doing improv comedy, and I wasn't good at it. So, but I was good at falling. Okay. And. <laughs> A wrestler, a local wrestler, came to our show, 
and comes up to me after the show. He's like, hey, you took some good falls there. Did you, where'd you learn to fall? I haven't really. He's like, are you hurting? I'm like, a little bit. He's like, come to a show early. I'll teach you how to fall. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. That's fantastic. So, and then I could fall anywhere. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. And I would make audiences just be quiet until I stood up and was fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... So, uh, all right, hold on. Mild divergence, and in, in clearly, we've stayed so linear to a good narrative at this point. <laughs> um, so, mild, mild divergence. Favorite wrestler of all time? There's okay. a right answer for me. For you, it's Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay, that's not the right answer, but it's acceptable. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> my, my answer, what I think is the right answer, is the wrong answer. I'm a Triple H guy. Love Triple H. Always have. He's my hero. That's um, fair. Poor, it, poor choice of a hero. I'm going to state that, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my close second is Chris Jericho, but I've met him twice. Have you really? Yes. Chris, he's the best. He's so good. Ah, uh, yep, so yep. fantastic. All right, we don't need a wrestling diverger. <laughs> we will be on that forever. Um, well, I will say this too. You know, once we're once we're done here, if the lounge is always open. There we go. You can always we, we, say, listen, hey, we, let's, let's. We, we can come back. The, the second show, it's contractually obligated. It's going to be the, the homeowner's insurance show. So we're going to, you know, people want to hear the fun wrestling. They, they, they got to get through 45 minutes of homeowner's oh, insurance homeowner's, first. That makes yep. perfect sense. Yep, totally. Because <laughs> those things go together. Yes, like like wine and peanut butter. So so then, so well, now th- then you've got your wrestling game. What do you call your wrestling game? Have you ever? It doesn't have a name. I didn't realize until this moment that game doesn't have. A, I guess I call it by the promotion name, uh, LWW Legendary World Wrestling. Because sure. why not? That's um, perfect. Although there's two promotions now, because then there's OPW Outsiders Professional Wrestling. Uh, so I do have two rival promotions that that run. But um, it saddens me in this very very moment. I've never once considered that it doesn't actually really have a name. It's just my wrestling game, huh? Uh, Why did you give me an existential crisis? Red truckers and ring bells. Red truckers and ring bells. There it is. That's <laughs> I, I, I christen it thee. Yes. <laughs> um. So so I mean that being your first game, then reflections. Which yeah. reflections? The reason I bought it is because yep. I'd never seen anything like it. It's a little different. When I was getting back into gaming. Okay. Yep. And <clears throat> I mean, I came from very trad games. Okay. Right. And I saw reflections. And I was like, I want to play this so bad. I don't know anybody that would play it with me. Yeah. That's where I started discovering online. Mm, okay. Um, and uh, and that somebody pointed out misdirected Mark. Yep. And that's the rest is history. <laughs> and now um, we sit here in the lounge. And now we're here in the lounge. But um, but with so that that arc of you know you created something that that you didn't even know it was a role playing game. Right. Went to reflections. And now you've got Burn Bright right. after some other designs and everything. Um, has there ever? Do you feel like there's there's any sort of like like waveform arc in that, or is it just kind of a like this is a thing that needs to exist in the world? I'm going to make it. Um, I guess it depends on exactly what you want to know because there's a d- bunch of different ways we could go that route. Sure. Um, you know, is is the the you're more interested in hearing about sort of how I come up with ideas for games and how a game comes into existence, or what 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 your inspiration is? Let's say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what you asked me. You just asked it in a much less cliche way, and then I made you say the cliche. So, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm with you now. Okay. okay. <laughs> Because you're a good interviewer, and I made you be a worse interviewer. Okay, that's 
that's being a bad interviewee right there. Uh, yes. So um, I, inspiration is is a funny thing um, because I can I say I don't believe in it? Is that a weird thing to say? No. Okay. Because um, here's the thing. I I think I think creative people are creative, and I think they always have tons of ideas and unique things to come up with and I believe every single one of the 8 billion people in this world is a creative person mm-hmm. um, so when I say creative people I'm referring to every single human being everyone Yes. Okay. Um, so to me the biggest difference is allowing yourself to time, effort, and energy to be creative mm-hmm. um, so I do sort of specific things for me, it, it, it's really about engaging in different creative works really gets, gets me, me flowing different ways. I, I, this is a true story, and I, I feel bad, so I won't say their name, but yesterday I was talking with someone about their game, okay? Sure. And while they were telling me about their game, it inspired the next game I was going to make that had absolutely nothing at all to do with anything they were doing. It, it has a... You get... Uh, I only right know there. that one right there. Oh, there's uh, another one... Uh, I believe upstairs. Yeah, I think so. And there may be one downstairs too. Oh, oh the uh, escalator's right over there. Yep. <laughs> yep. No problem. So the game I developed is, or the game that I came up with is helping people find the bathroom. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Like now I'm keeping it in. <laughs> Because now it's a bet. Yes, yeah. So, so what happens is you're, you're you're doing an interview, and then someone doesn't even care that you have microphones in front of you. And they, well, no, I, she's nice. I, I won't say that. Nice. Yes. Um, no, no. Uh, so I was talking with someone, and all right, here, here's a scoop. This is this is the first ever. This game was was Ooh. devised. 24 hours ago. Okay. Okay. I know nothing about it other than the core central mechanic, which is kind of from a board game, but I think would work really cool. So picture this, if, if you can. You On the top of your character sheet, you have three circles. This game was inspired by a mechanic first, and this is sort of why we're going to segue into the rest of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, there are three circles. Okay. Uh, at this point, I'm thinking of, of uh, physical, mental, and spiritual is, is what each of them says. You have a number of tokens that start in one of the circles. Let's say they start in physical. You have five tokens that are in there. Uh, any physical actions you take have a token cost, and then that moves that clockwise around the circle. You can only take an action if you have tokens in there. So once you've done and emptied your physical, you can only do mental actions sure. until you move those to another circle. So what this does is makes a play loop that works both for in combat and out of combat, where you have to handle your problems differently because of your dealing with that circular resource. That's an amazing mechanic. Cool mechanic, right? I don't know what game this is going in, (laughs) but there will be a game that uses that mechanic. So what I do is I fire up my phone, and I have a a Dropbox where I put all of my different game ideas that I haven't used yet. Some of them are more narrative things. Some of them are conceptual. Some of them are mechanical. Uh, And they go in there. What my inspiration is, and I hold to this, I go, if, if you, whatever allows your muse to happen, for me, it's being around creative people and creative work trigger these type of things and trigger these type of ideas. Um, so I try and get around creative people and creative things as much as possible. For everyone, it's going to be different, but you need to figure out what sort of allows your muse to, to, to show up. Um, and, uh, you know, then what I do is I, I take whatever those little ideas that pop in my head, and every creative person has one, and every person's creative, mm-hmm. okay? And I drop them into my little thing so that I don't forget them, and then I try to forget them. 
And it's the ones that I wake up in the morning thinking about, like this idea that I'm like, that needs to become a game because I can't get it out of my head. That's fantastic. So that's what the process is. And, and as I say, for me, sometimes, as I said, sometimes it's a mechanic. You know, what, yeah. the, what I just said, I'm going to build a game off of that mechanic. I already know because I'm so excited. Probably be a fantasy game, honestly, because I'm kind of excited about the idea of, I think about, like, the rogue characters, like, oh, I need to sneak into a place. Okay, I don't have any physical. I can't pick this lock. Yeah. Until I've done a mental. Okay, so then I'm doing a mental. I'm tricking a guard. I'm doing, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, you know, so I, I like that kind of fit for there, but we'll kind of see how it lands. But, yeah, so some of my games, it, it's, it's different things. Um, uh, you are a fan of Reflections. You want to mm-hmm. hear the inspiration for Reflections and yes. how that started? Okay. I absolutely do. Um, this one is a little more on the nose and also totally out of left field at the same time. Uh, the movie Up is the reason the game Reflections exists. Okay? <laughs> okay. Right? Okay, so we're all familiar with the Pixar movie Up. Yep. I love that movie. Anyone who's seen that movie knows the first five minutes of that film. Okay? They introduced to you characters, they told you their entire story, and they gave you a super emotional payoff. They made you care for a character and, for many people, myself included, cry in five minutes. Yeah. And when that was done, I had to process what had just happened to me, okay? Because I had never been engaged that quickly with characters that took me through an entire story with an emotional payoff. Mm-hmm. So I started literally dissecting. I've studied story structure my whole life. And I went, literally, all they did was super efficient use of story structure. And they carried you through the individual parts of that story. And the realization was... The feeling of something epic and grandiose and emotional connection to characters and all of these are just simply, if you break it down, a number of story beats that have to be hit. They doesn't Something to feel epic doesn't require a lot of time. You can have an epic feeling encounter that didn't exist or anything about it five minutes before. Up just proved it to us. Sure. So, I'm not as good as Pixar. I can't do it in five minutes. Okay? But... I was like, I bet I can do it in an hour in a tabletop role-playing game. And that's actually what led me to make Reflections. And how the game is designed is literally to go, okay, we are going to do a tragedy story. We are going to design the mechanics in such a way that the players themselves willingly do each beat of a tragedy story. And then when you hit the end of it, it feels like it has weight to it. And that's literally how that game came together. That's amazing. Yep. Um, what was literally me putting mechanics to the narrative beats of that first five minutes of up. Huh. Yep. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah. I, well, it's funny. One of the things that inspired me to get it in originally was my desire to tell a story in role-playing uh-huh. that starts with the ending of it. Yeah. And... That was that, that. That has a little different piece to it, um, which is a narrative. Con- I've been told this is much older, but I'm going to credit the person who introduced it to me, mm-hmm. which is an author by the name of Chuck Palahniuk. Most people would know him from Fight Club, being mm-hmm. his most famous thing. Um, but he did a book um, called Haunted. Um, it's hard for me to recommend Chuck Palahniuk to people because he is an out-there author. He is my favorite author because I've never read stories that are anything like what Chuck Palahniuk sure. writes. He is also an author that people could read his books and would immediately go, what the holy hell is this? And I totally get it. But what happens in Haunted is, uh, just as, as a 
super quick synopsis to understand where we're coming from is it is a group of people who want to be writers and they sequester themselves in this lockdown house for a long mm-hmm. period of time as sort of this extreme writer's retreat. Okay, And it, Polinet kind of likes to write in short stories. So he writes essentially each section of the book is one of the stories of uh, the, the people that is locked in there. Mm-hmm. And each one starts with the same scene of them up on stage, the same description of the spotlight hitting them, the same description of them starting to read and, and present to the rest of the people. And it has this chorus effect like what we have in songs. Mm-hmm. And... How that was used in the story was super powerful. Like, because by the time you got to the end, every time it was used, it added a little bit more and more layers to it. So in Reflections, I decided to, to incorporate that same mechanic of we start it so we immediately have a piece of world building. And then we go through the scenes, and then when you're told to repeat those again, suddenly they hit with all of this extra weight mm-hmm. because of what you just lived through in the last 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of how that specific mechanic came about. That's yep. really interesting. That's the only Chuck Palahniuk uh, book I've ever read. Oh, you read Haunted. Yeah. You actually got through it because it's crazy. I got all the way through <laughs> it. It starts with guts, right? And Yeah. yeah. I was actually uh, seeing a girl who recommended it to me, okay. so I read it. Okay. Um, because sometimes inspiration can comes from those places right um and i remember after i you know i gave her back the book and uh she goes how'd you how'd you like it and i said i don't remember it (laughs) (laughs) but that is entirely fair as you were explaining it i'm like oh yeah i remember yeah yep exactly and and that's you know we talk about inspiration and sort of the creative process you know when i read that book you know that that sort of chorus effect was the big thing that landed with me and you know that wasn't a thing you know perhaps that landed with you but that is why we engage with so many different things because I'm sure there was five other things in that book that inspired other people in ways that sure. just glossed entirely over me um, and that's part of you know being once you start on I'm going to say the professional side of being a creative person it's engaging with as much stuff as possible because again you never know what will trigger you never know what will inspire you and sort of build from there it's funny because one of the things I, I've always said about that book is that it affected me Okay, yep. I just couldn't remember couldn't the how. specifics of yep. it. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. Yep. Uh, you want the real weirdest thing. P- Pauline has a book called Rant. Go read Rant. Rant, I can't even begin to. That's the worst podcast little tidbit ever. Go read this book. I can't tell you anything about it, but it, it's great and it's weird and it's crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I'll give a, more, a better recommendation that I can say at least a little bit about. Go read, um, again, it's another Polemic book. Um, it's called Damned. It's my all-time favorite novel. Okay. Um, it is actually like the lowest reviewed of his book, so maybe you'll hate it. I don't know. But the basic concept is it's about a 14-year-old girl that dies, goes to hell, and becomes a telephone operator. And what that book taught me is I'm allowed to write about anything. Yeah. Which no one's ever told me I'm not allowed to do that. But the fascinating thing is that was the the novel that really opened my eyes of like, I am putting limits on what what I write and what I design and what I put in there that are super arbitrary limits that that thing literally just showed, that book showed me, no, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will love that novel forever for that reason. It's it, one of those things, um, I, well, honestly, for me, be, being a creative person, yeah. um, one of the things that kind of showed me that you can write about anything is... is is discovering the indie gaming scene. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's so much, you know, and I do the same thing where I put in my notes and everything. And, you know, if it's something that I just keep thinking about over and over again, mm-hmm. that's the thing I end up wanting to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
So um, we're nearing the end of our time. I can talk forever. I know. Um, I could too <laughs> if I didn't have a panel. Right, right. Understood. Understood. Um, but um, I just uh, uh, so it, it. I mean, you've had a re- you've had a really unique story mm-hmm. getting into game design, um, and uh, and you've you know you're uh, you're. Uh, I'm going to say a mover and a shaker. Sure, I'll take that. I feel like that's a legit. I, I move and I shake on occasion. <laughs> um, has there been anything in regards to the gaming industry that you've seen that you know you think is going to be the next movement? I mean, D and D has kind of become a mainstream thing now, right? Yep. Um, what's What's after that? It's <laughs> a fantastic question. <laughs> that, that is a, a really, really good question. Um, so I have a couple thoughts on this. Uh, you know, one, uh, how to express these thoughts in not 20-minute in bits of industry insider talk. <laughs> sure. um, so D&D is, I'm going to say, <coughs> as popular now as it's ever been. I, I would actually hold, I believe there's more people playing tabletop and specifically Dungeons and Dragons today than at any other point in history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it had the still I think the most cultural re- awareness in the 80s, but a lot of that was for bad reasons uh, and now we have good reasons. Mm-hmm. And there are several several reasons for this to occur. The, the, the editor in me was like, you just said the reasons three times in a sentence and that's bad, you need to edit that. But that's, <laughs> that, that's for my editor I paid to, to do that. Um, anyway, uh, streaming is obviously is is the really really big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the next movement is games that are designed for the way that we interact. Okay. okay? Uh, to use an example, if we look at, at, at video games um, and, and the way people do do video games now, and the different ways people engage with video games, uh, for people who are aware of it, most people probably heard of the concept of speed running video games, mm-hmm. right? There's two huge conventions that are done every year called Games Done Quick um, where it's literally just a week long of people speed running games uh, they do it live on Twitch it has millions of viewers every huh. year it is a way people are engaging with video games and now video games are starting to design with speed running in mind yeah. and to be interesting for this type of way the video game industry is changing to adapt to that to use that example and go into, into our tabletop Streaming and and live, uh, you know, play of of role playing games is now a way that I don't want to say a majority, but a large portion are interacting with these games, mm-hmm. and the games are still being written and designed for. Five people sitting around the table looking at a grid map for tabletop. Exactly. Yeah. And tabletop is quickly no longer becoming tabletop. Yeah. And I think the next big thing is when people start actually designing games for the way people are engaging with them now in 2019 and not designing them how people engage with them in 1982. Yeah. And I think that's the next big wave. Um, you know, we, we've already started doing some of this stuff, uh, you know, obviously... Because that's where I think it's go, and I design games, I incorporate it. When we designed Burn Bright for Roll20, you know, part of our 
directive from them was design this game with streaming in mind yeah. and how it's going to be streamed and how it's going to be presented. Um, my last game, Reach of Titan, just a little anecdote from that. That game, which will be, you know, obviously it'll be put in a book and you can play it at a table, is fine. The game actually works better on Roll20. Because, just a little quick anecdote on it, um, how the game works is, again, you're fighting big giant creatures, and the battle map is actually a printout of the creature itself that you're fighting. So every creature in the book has literally the creature itself, and you climb up the thing and you move all around it. If there's six of you sitting around the table, some of you are looking at that in the right orientation, most of you aren't. Uh. If everyone's looking at screen at roll 20... Everyone's seeing it exactly in the right way. That aspect of the game literally plays better on virtual tabletop than at a table. Yeah. Those type aspects and working into those designs, I think the first game that really does a good job of making it super streamer friendly is going to be one of the next big movements within tabletop. Fantastic. That was a great answer. Is that a great answer? That was okay. a great answer. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a ton um, of fun. As I've stated already in this, I would love to have you back on. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll connect. I can tell the other half of all the stories I glossed I over. I love it. <laughs> I, that's great. I've, uh, I, I always like going to cons and getting interviews with, with people who are like, let's do the rest of this later. Like, Perfect. <laughs> that's great. Um, so, but I do have a tradition. Okay. And I mentioned it to you earlier. You did? Um, as to how I like to close my show. Sure. But before I do, uh, where can everybody find you? Oh, okay. Um, uh, best way to interact with me, I primarily do, do the Twitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's at GM Jim McClure. That's Game Master Jim McClure, M-C-C-L-U-R-E. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, of course, you can find all my work uh, on Third Act Publishing. Uh, so thirdactpublishing.com. Uh, I don't even know why people say web address. Everyone's just going to put Third Act Publishing into Google, and then the top then- result is going to be the website. <laughs> right. I don't know why we still, again, we do things the way we did them 15 years ago instead of w- now. W-W-W. Oh, it's on the World Wide Web? <laughs> HTTP colon <laughs> slash slash backslashes yeah um, but uh, yeah so Third Act Publishing uh, is where you can find all of my my books and products and games that I do uh, of course Roll20 we've already talked about it a lot very much going Roll20 you know, depending on when this comes out you know obviously Burn Bright will be on there soon mm-hmm. so if that's something that interests you and then I'll say if you want to interact with me directly uh, Twitter's the best way I'm, I'm pretty darn active there fantastic and with that if you, did you remember the no, line? No, you have to give me the line. <laughs> um, so I always tell my lounge lizards who listen to stay classy. So if you would do so, be okay, so how exactly do you want me to say? Lounge lizards stay classy. Stay classy, lounge lizards, or is, however you would like. Okay, Jesse, thanks so much for having me on the show, and for all you lounge lizards out there, stay classy. And you are, you are classy. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really enjoyed having Jim on. I can't wait to have him on again. I want to wait to hear how his uh, his pro wrestling debut went. I'm sure you can't either. Um, I want to thank you again for uh, for joining me. You can find Jim at Third Act Publishing or GM Jim McClure on Twitter, or really just search his name. It, it's it'll be all over. He's just all over the place. It's Jim McClure. Lounge is, as always, Misdirected Mark Production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. I have been Jesse Edmond, a.k.a. The Doc. I'll see you next time.